Um, we are at the fourth of four sessions looking at the love of Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Yep, I couldn't wait till next Sunday. I'm not too excited. Um, I can't wait for Easter eggs. So I'm, I'm going for it now. Easter, we're an Easter people. Uh, you know, Easter is in our whole being. It runs through us like a stick of rock. Jesus' love goes through us all through. Why have we been looking at this time, at the love of Jesus? I think it's important to stress that because it should change us. There's, there's no, no, no point in talking about the love of Jesus if it doesn't have any effect and impact in our lives. It, it, should, it should be changing us. And in fact, the whole purpose of Jesus coming with his love was that we might be changed. That was the whole point of it. So, where do we start? We started, if you remember, looking at the love of Jesus in Trinity. Yes? Remember all that back, way back then in January? We looked at the fact that the love of Jesus was forged in Trinity. Because of the love that there is in Trinity, that's what he wanted us to have. He wants us to know that same love. To know him in that way. To know what it means to be loved by God and to love God. That's the whole purpose of him coming into the world for us. And so the following week we went and looked at the, having built on that foundation of the love of God in Trinity, we looked at what it meant for Jesus to come into our world and what he was there to do. And there was a, I used a particular example of Jesus' life when he went to the temple and he knocked over the tables and he enabled everybody, everybody, to come in. That's what it achieved. Because it, it, its whole purpose was to take away all the barriers. The barriers for the lepers, he healed them. The barriers for women, he accepted them, drew them in, said, yes, you too, you as well. You're not second class. The barriers for the sick, for the Gentiles, for everybody. He wanted everybody to have that love that he had known by our Trinity. So last week, we went and saw, um, in the third of our series, the, about Jesus' love in the most perfect moment. Yes. The most perfect example of the love of Jesus, the cross. He went and broke through the very last barrier that there is for us and for him, that of death itself. He broke through. And that's where we left it last time, kind of hanging on a bit of a cliff edge, really. For the disciples that were there at the time, um, it was a thing of hopelessness. They most of them had run off. They're all that side of the cross, aren't they? They're all that side of the cross. We're this side of the cross, and we look at that whole incident and we think to ourselves, of course, I mean, he said it several times. And we'll have a look at the passage in a minute that speaks of that. But that side of the, of the cross, that side of the resurrection, the disciples, they, they thought it was hopeless. It was a dead man. Yes? He was a dead man. So let's turn and look at a piece of scripture. 
Um, we're going to, please, if you could turn to John 10, uh, verses 17 to 18. Can somebody read that for us, please? John 10, 17 to 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from the Father. Yes. You see, this is one of several places in the, in the Gospels where Jesus refers to his death and resurrection. And in fact, there's also references in, say, the Psalms and other parts of the Old Testament where we see this idea of Jesus' death and resurrection. Let me give you a few examples in the New Testament. John 2, 18-22. Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 27, 62-64. And Mark 8, 31, etc., etc. And of course, he did take his life up again, didn't he? He did it, didn't he? Yes, he did it. He rose from the dead. Does I get an amen? <laughs> he rose from the dead. He is alive. Now, you see, the facts of the resurrection might be contested by some of you, maybe not. There are many in this crowd that would contest the fact of the resurrection. But there are, of course, many that do. And it's not my purpose this morning to try and persuade you one way or the other about the facts of the resurrection. You've all done your journey, you've all arrived at where you are with respect to that event. And uh, for me, I, I, you know, I feel very comfortable being able to affirm both from experience of knowing him and also because of the evidence we see in the New Testament that Jesus is alive. Amen. I'm not standing belligerently here seeking to prove one way or the other. It's a fact in my life and I believe it. But I do want to spend some time quite briefly just sharing with you about the impact and the meaning of that resurrection life of Jesus for each one of you. Something that's been with me quite a lot through all of this thing about the love of Jesus is that I wonder whether God could have done it another way. Given the cost of it and given the, the kind of things we see. And also see some of the ways in which God deals with his people in the Old Testament and how actually other people in the world seem to, to deal with things. I wonder whether God might have done all of this in a different way. In a dispassionate way. In a contractual way, as a, a thing of duty. Let's go back very, very quickly to the beginning. Okay, Adam sinned, chaos came into the world, there was a fall. God looks down and he sees it and he looks at it and he says, This chaos, this is not right, this is not ordered, this is not as it should be. And so he brings in covenants. Agreements, legal agreements with his people, and he says, You should do this, and if you do this, you'll get blessings, you'll get good crops, and so on. So the Jewish people say, Yes, we'll do that, that would be really good. Thank you very much. Shake hand. He could have done it that way, couldn't he? He could have done it so that when the, 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 the people of, that were in Egypt, God looked down at them and said, 
actually, I need to have a people, a strong people in Israel, so rather than having them in, in, uh, in slavery, I'm going to let them free, and I'm going to enable them to go. And I shall have a set of laws, and they're going to live by those laws. Okay? And so it goes through, and we get to Jesus. And Jesus could have come, and he, he could have died for us, and he could have gone through that situation where he, he died for our sins, and we are now able to have a relationship with God. But he could have done it all dispassionately. It, was, it is possible, and there are plenty of situations. If I think of, um, think of me, those of you on the benefit, uh, subject to the benefit system will know what I'm talking about. Because it's a contractual thing. You go and you're a part of that. I've been in that situation as well. You fill in forms and you agree. You shake hands with the person. Yeah, you, receive, you receive the benefits and all the rest of it. But then there are free gifts, aren't there? Then there's love. And that's a different thing entirely. And I guess that's where I wanted to come to. Let's, let's just think of a, a particular verse. John 3.16 could have said... For God decided to bring order to a broken world, so he sent his son to pay a ransom and defeat sin and death. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's what was needed, and it is what he achieved. But John 3.16 doesn't say, for God decided to bring order to a broken world. It says, for God so... God so loved. When I first talked to you um, one of the weeks ago about the love of God and Trinity, it was loving kindness that motivated Father. It was loving kindness that motivated Jesus. It was his love. He isn't a solicitor with a contract. He loved. He so loved that he sent. Why is that important? Well, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Because the world views things like this. It's ever so easy for the world to look at our faith and get stuck on the legal, the agreement, the rituals that enable us to get to heaven. If we do this, then we get to heaven is often the way. Some religions have that idea. Even within uh, Christianity, there are parts of so-called Christianity that would stress more on the ritual. I'm just struck by the fact that it is not contract, not obligation, or ritual. It's relationship and conversation. Yeah? We have a conversation with a loving God. We have a relationship with a loving God. The stories of people meeting Jesus at the resurrection <coughs> show this beautifully. Um, the Gospels, particularly John's Gospel, and we'll look at John's Gospel, um, talk to us about three encounters Jesus has in the resurrection with, with, with three people, three flawed and broken people. I want to talk about those. Um, the I'm not going to read the passages because I haven't got time. The three are Mary Magdalene, Peter on the beach, and Thomas. If we, uh, Mary Magdalene, if you want to turn to John 20, 10 to 18, while I'm talking about that story. Um, so it's uh, John 20, 10 to 18. It's an amazing story. 
But it, it is, it is a, a beautiful and passionate, loving encounter that Mary has with Jesus. You get that situation where she turns to what she thinks is the gardener and says to him, if you know where they've taken my Lord, please, please can you tell me where they've laid him? And, and Jesus said, this is just beautiful. He just says, Mary. <laughs> you kind of think. And there's that moment of recognition. And she reaches out and takes hold of him, tries to take hold of him. And, and says, Rabboni, my Lord, my teacher. It's a moment of beautiful, meaningful restoration of relationship. She knows it's him. And oh, for her, you just think for a minute, what was the last thing she saw? She was there, didn't she, at the cross? The last thing she saw was the dead body. And there he is. There he is. Beautiful. Um, second one. Um, Peter. Our lovely friend, Peter. Whole motor mouth, yeah? The guy who always sticking his foot in it. Poor Peter. The last thing he saw of Jesus too was of him turning away in the courtyard, having denied him three times. Talk about an elephant in the room. There he is on the beach. Before that, there's a lovely bit. He sees him on the on the beach, just just like Pete. He's just great. He jumps in the water. He can't get there quick enough. But I can imagine as he got close to the beach, there's the elephant in the room, this thing in his mind. I denied him. What would he say? How would it be? And so they have their fish supper. And he's sitting there. And you can imagine Pete, can't you? He's sitting there fiddling with them some nets. And then Jesus says, Peter. He's sitting there. Probably with a tear running down his cheek as he realizes. Do you love me, Peter? No, I do. No, I do. And then there's that, that wonderful reconciliation. And there isn't any question. Everybody in this room knows the significance of the fact that he asked him three times, having denied him three times. Everybody here knows that's what it was about. You know, Peter could have gone to Jesus at that moment and said, Lord, I'm really sorry, I mocked up, I'm really sorry. But, you know, there's a message, a lesson here for each one of us. Jesus, even at that moment, took the initiative. He reached out, if you know, and he reaches out in love for you today. The risen Christ, if you've mocked up, if you've mocked up, he's reaching out his hand to you right now. You love me. You love me. That's what he's saying to you right now. I've loved you this much. And then we come to Thomas. My word, if ever there was a lesson for all of us, all us cynics in this room, you know, come on, 
is easy. We're sitting this side of the cross. He knew it was dead. He absolutely knew Jesus was dead. And there is, I don't think there will be a single person in this room who faced with the, with, with the same thing Thomas was faced with would, would, would have been able to stand. It took Jesus appearing in the room for them to believe. And Thomas wasn't there. So why should he really believe the guys when they say, we've seen Jesus? He's just like us, isn't he? He is. He's just like you and me. He's like me, if you're feeling you've got either done, that's fine, great, okay. <laughs> I know I'd have been a cynic. I, I, I would have needed to touch. And that's what he does. He says, come here, come. You know, if there was any rebuke in that, it was lovingly done. You know, wasn't it? There was a, a love in that, in that. He wanted to restore. He wanted to reach out and restore, and then, if we were uh, a documentary or something, he would, Jesus would have turned to the camera at this point, and he would have said, Blessed are those who have seen, but blessed even more, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And he's looking at you when he says that, isn't it? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed is Chris who believed even though he didn't see physically. Blessed is Jackie who believed even though she didn't touch physically. We're blessed by Jesus. He's turning to and it's that power that's at work in you now. The risen power and the risen love of Jesus which is there to change our world. How can our world be changed if we don't take the love and power of the risen Jesus to, eat, to everyone we meet? And that's the point, in a way, of the, in the resurrection. It expresses the fact that it's not finished. It's not over. It's not done with. It doesn't say kind of closing credits at the end of the resurrection, as it probably will in that film. That we're gonna, you know, it's on the cinema. It's going to be the film Risen. And there's going to be credits at the end, and that'll be over. And I think, hang on a minute. What about the rest of time? That's been all the acts of the apostles, all of that that's been, and it's all continued on ever since. This, um, and it's our motivation for all that we do. We want to take the love of Jesus into all the world. That risen. Jesus' love. I kind of come to an end of what I wanted to share about this, but um, Keith shared a brilliant word in February, February the 21st. He, he shared a word on John 17. Anybody remember when he was here? Anybody remember? John 17, he was talking about, uh, I've had lots of comments afterwards saying how brilliant it was, and I went and listened to it because I wasn't here. And I want to recommend that you go back. It's on the church website now. He talks about eternal life. This risen Jesus brought us eternal life. Uh, and in John 17, he says this. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. 
Keith talked about how we have a strange idea about eternal life and how the fact that we think of it in terms of the quantity of time rather than the quality of the nature of that knowing God. And that is well worth listening to again because it's exactly what I'm seeking to bring to you with this whole series. The purpose of all this is that we might know God. I'm going to uh, bring that to a, a, a time to a close. There are some questions and some notes again as I've been doing for all of, uh, all of these. Uh, there are uh, on the back there's some questions in there for you to consider. I'd like to uh, just encourage you and ask you if there are any barriers to be broken in your life still. Jesus has broken every 